Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 310 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we visited the wild world of NFTs and what lawyers need to understand about NFTs and their impact. Will Tom and I be minting an NFT for our podcast? No. That's a big question. No. Tom says no. In this episode, we turn to uh, we turn some of our recent learnings about collaboration tools from the last two years and some of the things we learned while writing our uh, the new version of our Collaboration Tools and Technologies book, which is in the page proof stage, um, and share some learnings about asynchronous and synchronous approaches. So, Tom, what's on, on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about something that we're going to be calling collaboration modalities and what we've learned about when it's right to use asynchronous communication and when it's right to use synchronous communication. In our second segment, we're going to look at how to improve your virtual reality experience if you happen to wear prescription eyeglasses. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, asynchronous versus synchronous communications and why this podcast is better served as an asynchronous format. During the past two years, I think many of us have learned different ways of communicating with colleagues and clients, whether we wanted to learn it or not. We were forced to do so. And most of the learnings have come down to the pros and cons of two different types of what we're calling collaboration modalities, asynchronous and synchronous communication. So we thought we'd spend some time talking about these two types of communication, what they are, what we've learned over the past two years, whether we have any recommendations over when it's right to use one versus the other. Dennis, does the comment, this Zoom call should have been an email, sum up one of your biggest learnings from these pandemic times? Well, I mean, it's a popular saying, but remember the original comment people were, were making was this meeting should have been an email. So we've we've felt this about all meetings for for a long time. But I but I do think it really focuses the question on do we have the right type of modality as, as we're calling. Have we chosen the right vehicle for the, the communication and collaboration that we, we want to have? And, and generally that gets divided into these two pieces or two, two descriptions. So one asynchronous, which means that not everybody is there at the same, same time. Um, and in synchronous, which means that everybody is, is there at the same time. And so you have this sort of uh, communications is happening in real time versus communication that can be, uh, you know, kind of scattered out throughout the day or, or through through a number of, of days. So, Tom, I that's my crack at explaining asynchronous and synchronous, and and maybe everybody understands that, but uh, maybe you can uh, clarify a little bit, or maybe give us some ex examples just to make sure that uh, everybody's on the same page. 
So I don't really know that I have anything to add to the definition because, I mean, I think it's pretty standard. Synchronous is existing at the, or occurring at the same time, and asynchronous is not. Um, synchronous is scheduled or planned. Um, asynchronous is um, unscheduled, but, you know, we, we can't necessarily say that it's unplanned because sometimes there's a plan for asynchronous communication. So we'll talk about that more later. The, the examples, I think, of, of synchronous communications are meetings. They're video meetings, in-person meetings, phone calls. Um, those types of things are what we would consider to be synchronous communications, whereas asynchronous tends to be things like email, chat messages, text messages, uh, video recordings, those types of things. Um, kind of quickly, what I think to be the pros and cons of, of each approach. So let's go to synchronous, things that are scheduled or planned. The pros of that approach are, one, they tend to be faster. They tend to happen. They, you, you, you get it over with quicker than, than sometimes lengthy, drawn-out asynchronous communications. They can be more dynamic because they're happening all at once and in person. They are good for participation and active discussion, um, and they're good for real-time resolution of issues. Um, the, the disadvantages to them are they disrupt your focus. They disrupt a person's workflow. You're working throughout the day and someone wants you to join a meeting. That can disrupt your workflow. Um, it's also hard. Synchronous communication is harder when you work with a team that is in different time zones. So you, if you, especially if you work with people in other, other time zones, that can be an issue. On the other hand, the benefits of asynchronous, asynchronous communication are it's more flexible. There's no scheduling. You go at your own pace. It's good if you're working in different time zones. There's no b barrier to that. Um, the disadvantages to asynchronous communication is there's there's no sense of immediacy. That may not be an issue, but if it is, you want to think about something different. We'll talk about that more later. It takes longer to reach a decision, so sometimes decision-making is better synchronous than asynchronous. Um, and then I think one of the bigger ones is um, when you are synchronous and you're talking directly to a person, you you um, you don't have to be quite as precise in your communication. There needs to be a precision in in what you're talking about, so there's no disconnect in the communication, because this is really the only chance you get. And you know, we talk in in the past about how emails can be misinterpreted by not knowing what humor was or saying like that. It's, it's the same thing with asynchronous communications. If you don't communicate what you're trying to do, then you lose the value of being able to do talk asynchronously. Um, I've been talking a long time, Dennis. Anything you want to add to that or move on to the next part of our discussion? No, I think we'll pick up on uh, some of those points in a little bit. And, and I will say that this was definitely uh, one of my learnings as we, we researched the new version of our book, which, as I mentioned, is now in the page-proof form, so uh, uh, our phase, so it should be out soon. Uh, but I, I think it comes down to some really simple things, is that what we found and what research found was that when you have a mismatch on modality, to the to the communication or collaborations that needs to be done, then you can have at, at worst or at best an annoyance and at worst like a big problem. And that on the other hand, if you if you match the communication to the right modalities, that can be a great thing. And so over the pandemic, there's some basic learnings, uh, nothing totally uh, unexpected, but not everything needs to be on Zoom. Uh, 
because everything doesn't need to be a meeting. And uh, on the other hand, not everything can be done by message uh, messages or email as much as we would like to. So that you know, this uh, this meeting could have been an email. Um, sometimes it's it's the it's the opposite that, that people rely on messaging, uh, which doesn't have the nuance, doesn't have uh, the subtleties, doesn't have the you know the uh, uh, we can't read body language, those sorts of things. And so we can go a long ways on the asynchronous mode by messaging or email and then realize that we have to have a, a, a meeting to get everybody onto to the right page uh, or onto the same page and get things going. And then, as we all know, the flip of that is that Zoom meetings with a lot of people on it are often unproductive and, and waste a, a, a ton of time. So I think that's some of the learning. And the other thing that was interesting to me was there's just a general sense out there that, uh, especially during the pandemic, we started to rely too much on messaging. So I don't know, Tom, does that resonate with you? It does. I mean, I think that when we talk about a mismatch of modalities or, or matching them correctly, um, you know, I think that uh, you know, the different way of saying that is, is there's a good time for synchronous and there's a good time for asynchronous. Um, what is interesting to me is that I am seeing more and more uh, productivity experts and remote work experts and people talking about, uh, uh, you know, working from home and things like that, saying that the future is in more, 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 more asynchronous communication. The more of that, the better, because you're letting your knowledge workers do things. You're giving them more power by not forcing them to attend meetings. And I... I'm going to disagree with that. I'm, I don't think that that's right. I think that synchronous can be very successful if it's done right. You know, when I when I look at the this meeting could have been an email, I honestly can't think of the last meeting that I was in where I came away thinking about that. I've been in lots of meetings where it was a slog and it was painful, but it was necessary. And we had to meet and talk to things in person. But I will say that that I have... I, I have multiple meetings with clients during the week and I email them the day of the meeting and saying, hey, if there's nothing to discuss, let's cover it in email and let's cancel it. And we do that. We frequently say, oh, nothing to discuss, cancel the meeting. I, but on the other hand, I have consultants that I, rather than text them 20 times during the week to figure out how different projects are going. I have a 30 minute one-on-one -on -one with each one of them. I go through each of the projects. If there's nothing to discuss, we move on. If there's issues to discuss, we talk about them and that's it for the week. So I think there's a right and a wrong time to use it. And, and you have to get a good sense of that in order to, as Dennis puts it, match the modalities to where they need to be. And I also think there are a couple of these formats and, and texting or messaging is, is, to me, the best example of this, where it can effectively uh, be both modalities. So you can say, I text somebody because uh, I'm not sure where they're going to be there with, with a message or something they can look at. If they happen to be online and available, then we actually have the conversation. So we flip to synchronous and then we might flip back to asynchronous at at some point. Right. The, the good thing there is, let's say you're doing that and you're in something like Teams, uh, but you're like, okay, we've gone back and forth in some synchronous communication, but we're not resolving it. I can hit the phone button in Teams and right. I can talk to them with, within two minutes, we resolve it and we're done. 
then as you look to the future, and I, I don't think people are really comfortable with this yet, but you could say, uh, you know, one of the things that worries me about asynchronous communication is you don't have body language, you don't have nuance, and you could say, well, I could just cut like the equivalent of a TikTok video, and I post that in Teams or whatever, and then somebody can look at me saying what I have to say, and maybe even when I'm showing like a PowerPoint slide or something, and then they get the nuance and all this. I just don't think that that's how we're used to communicating, but I could see that, see more of that happening in the future. Well, it's the same thing as um, if somebody in your office or somebody in your business doesn't know how to do something with the technology that you have. How do we go about um, finding this document or how do we go about filing it in a specific way? I'm just coming up with some bad examples here, but, but um, maybe it makes sense rather than to call somebody and say, please tell me how to do this um, and, and take up their time. Maybe it's a good idea to record a short video that demonstrates to them how it actually works and, and leave it in a library where people can go look for it, which I think is another way of having things asynchronously available to individuals and not wasting people's time. Yeah, and I've had people say, oh, I just want to show you something I've been working on. And so I just shared my screen on Zoom and I cut this video and I sent you the uh, link to the video and you can look at it when you want because I'm taking like 10 minutes to show you like sort of like the next iteration of what we've done or things like that. So there's so there's definitely some sort of creative ways, I think, as we're still trying to work this this out. I mean, I... I as as we were working on this podcast time, I was thinking that this kind of comes down to, uh, and, and maybe these days I just see mapping as the solution for everything. But it almost seems like what I want to do is figure out like, hey, here are each of these you know media for communication, and I kind of want to map out what they're best for, and then who like who I communicate in those areas and how I would want to share. So I almost like have this map to say, okay, here's where I fit on this and here's the tool that I want to use. And it may change as I understand better and better what the people I'm collaborating with either want or they need or prefer to use. So uh, it's almost like a mapping or, uh, you know, we sometimes use uh, uh, the idea of auditing how it is that we use these different modalities. But I, I think that mapping that out is a really good first step these days as we as we start to think about uh, how we improve the way we use these tools. Yeah, I, I sort of think that way, but I also will say that um, that I, I like to know what's in my toolkit of asynchronous or, or messaging tools so that when I get to a particular client, I can decide once I meet with them what which of these tools is going to be most effective. So, I, so I'm going to say, you know, I use this and this with some clients, but I can already tell that this client would rather use this instead. And so I, I, I think that my map would be organized a little bit differently because I would kind of have that whole toolkit out there and then I would be making decisions kind of on a on an audience by audience basis as to which one makes the most sense. Yeah, and then then I think there was this preference piece and we were talking about for the podcast about how one thing people who know me know that I hate phone calls, especially unscheduled spontaneous phone calls, which are spontaneous of course for the person calling me, but 
not so much, but feel interruptive to me. So there is, I think, a big difference between scheduled synchronous communication versus unscheduled uh, synchronous. And I think that the unscheduled sort of spontaneous phone call is partially because of spammers and spam phone call and all the stuff we get. But um, but I think we're moving away from that that sort of unscheduled synchronous approach. Uh, so that's one development. And then, uh, but that brings us to this the problem, I think, of the asynchronous means, and especially I see this with email, is that asynchronous has this inherent difficulty if we want to do something that uh, that needs a fast response where you say like, oh, I'm just going to send a quick email to somebody to get an answer, and then you don't hear from them, and you get kind of annoyed with them, uh, and you don't realize that that they're, you know, in meetings, they're in their office, and they're not answering emails. So, so I think we're we're evolving in both ways, and and probably we're seeing people push the envelope in a way of how these different modalities get used. And I think that part of that, part of the solution to that, is in figuring out the right tool to use there. So, so. I would tend, usually when I need a quick answer to something, it's not from a client. Usually it's from a colleague. Usually it's from somebody that I work with. So I wouldn't send an email anyway. I would send a message by chat to, to get that message there. And, and then what comes in handy is the fact that you can set your status within there uh, to whether you're away from your computer, whether you're in a meeting and, you know, teams will even show when you're presenting your screen, which I think is pretty cool. But what that helps me do is that helps set my expectations, depending on what I see as they, where they are, that gives me some idea of when I can expect to hear from them. So I think that, um, that, that in addition to you being a good asynchronous communicator, you want hopefully for the people you communicate with to be good at and considerate at doing that. And I think that's one way of doing it is to let people know when and if you're available to communicate with them, because I think that's kind of the challenge of this type of asynchronous communication is on the one hand, you don't want to have a meeting for it. But on the other hand, you want an answer like within five minutes because you're trying to get work done. So there's a little bit of a, 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 a kind of they're butting up against each other. And there's not I think that, that you kind of have to develop a good rhythm with your colleagues and the people you work with in order to make sure that uh, people aren't saying, well, why don't we just schedule a meeting to talk about this instead of you bothering me all the time in chat messages? And so then I think that moves us to the holy grail of of these collaboration uh, uh, approaches, which which is sort of Slack, and I think Teams more so than Slack. It seems like Slack has been one of the uh, the tools that has really kind of di- diminished over uh, over the pandemic uh, period of the last couple of years. So. Um, they offer this uh, this ability to to use a number of different uh, forms all in the same tool and to also have record of all that. So you can go to one place, you can see the history, you have logs, you can jump onto a video meeting, you can do an audio, you know, audio, you can do all sorts of things. And so the idea of having this collaboration platform becomes uh really attractive as you look at like I'm just looking at my my screen time and I realize like 
here there's some people that I communicate through Twitter direct messages. There's some people as team. There's some people through iMessage. There's some people or email. There's all, and be nice to have them all in one place. And that sort of seems like, oh, that's the beauty of teams um, because uh, we kind of evolve beyond where all the communications were in email. And the email is, I think, a diminishing fraction of where uh, communications take place. And, and it's it's starting to get hard to find find things because uh, you don't know where they're at. And if you say, if I could just pull everything into Teams or something similar, um, that would be awesome. And so I'll turn over to you, Tom, because I know that you uh, you love Teams as uh, and its potential. I have thoughts on this, yes. I would not say that Slack has diminished. I think that Salesforce buying Slack was a brilliant move because um, it, because it, it, it did the same thing that Microsoft did when it turned on Teams because when they offered Teams to their hundreds of millions of users nationwide or worldwide, they ultimately got market domination just because they gave it to all of their users. Slack didn't have a chance because even though millions and millions of people still use Slack, um, they were automatically dwarfed because if you have a choice between something you've never used before versus something that comes for free and something you already have, people are going to use Teams. Um, I, I still know that Slack is widely used in uh, the tech community and lots of solo and small firms still use Slack and are very comfortable with it. Um, but I think that Teams really is for most law firms starting to be that that tool, whatever it is, I think there needs to be some kind of basic communications tool like Slack, like Teams, where you can have that basic chat function. The fact that it comes with other features is great, but that is really the the benefit is the the you have the synchronous communications where you can set up a meeting, you have the asynchronous with chat, it's all together in one thing. But but when I did some research, there are a ton of new tools that can do asynchronous in different ways. I'm going to put all of these in the show notes, but here are the different ca- kind of categories. You can leave video and voice messages. We talked about this on a podcast a couple of months ago where we talked about, well, would you ever want to be leaving voice messages for someone and just volleying back and forth a voice message rather than having a meeting? I'm not really sold on that, but there are tools like Loom and Yak, which you can record videos or voice messages as asynchronous communications. Um, We are starting to see a lot more what they call meeting management software, as well as stand-up and check-in tools. And so it's trying to make the idea of asynchronous meetings, which I'm still trying to wrap my brain around what an asynchronous meeting is, um, but essentially it's a longer drawn-out meeting that happens virtually in in a document online. And so there are tools like Hugo and Fellow and HyperContext and Docket that will centralize your meeting notes. They will central, you can share agendas, you can manage action items from the meetings. And then there are others, which I've said a minute ago, I prefer having my one-on-ones by phone. Some of these are intriguing to me. There, there, there are stand-up or check-in apps like Range, Standuply. There's a tool called GeekBot where you can do stand-up meetings in Slack and Teams. You can just send a message out and say, please tell me what you're working on. 
I like it because it built it's built into Teams, um, DailyBot, Gel, those types of things. Um, don't forget wikis and knowledge management. Um, that's another way to asynchronously communicate. If if I want to know how to do something, we can set up a wiki that uh, provides that information. So Confluence, we talk about Notion a lot. Notion can be used for that purpose as well. And then you know, interestingly enough, project management software is becoming more and more a place to put asynchronous communication. You can talk about how you what you're doing on a particular project, which I think is interesting. So um, a lot of different ways to do asynchronous in addition to Teams and Slack. And I think it, it, it makes sense to look at some of these because they're good options for getting things done in different ways. So two things I think are really uh, interesting in this area. So one is the aggregation. So, so Tom, uh, you, you ran through this whole list, and I was thinking, yeah, Notion's amazing in in its way of of doing this as well. But so, how do we ideally go to one place and see everything? So how do we aggregate and make sure that we see everything and that we don't miss things? So I, I, I think that's important. And then there's this other notion, which we do talk about in the new book of co-collaboration, which is, do we really understand what the preferred or even necessary uh, modality is for the people that we're working with? And I, my favorite example is uh, I have a friend who manages a nightclub and he's always uh, posting on Facebook, like, why do people call me and leave voicemails? Like, just text me, like, just think about where I work and why do you think it makes any sense at all to call call him on the phone rather than texting? And so I think that when you say, you look at that and you go like, oh, let me think about what people are doing, what their situation is, what tools they have. Um, this co-collaboration thing will sh- help to shape what we're doing. And then I, I still go back, Tom, I think to this idea of like, why don't we just map out what what we have, what they are, and then try to figure out in a certain sense to go back to my usual point of the jobs to be done and say, okay, which of these modalities make the most sense for what I I need to do? And then to to take a closer look, especially at the modalities that are causing you stress and, and I would say predictable failures and say, can I minimize those and find better ways to do things? Uh, so those are my my thoughts, Tom. I think those are good closing thoughts, frankly. I mean, I don't really have anything to add to that other than, you know, I think you we asked the question, where is email in all of that these days? Um, because saying that this meeting could have been an email, I sort of feel like that's not the answer anymore because I, I don't, you know, frankly, on my team, we use email as little as possible. We are basically chatting back and forth and taking care of that. So there's not a lot of email going back and forth. So I, I sort of am of the opinion that if you are doing asynchronous communication correctly, if you're, if you're, or, or if you're matching your modalities, if you're doing both async and synchronous communication correctly, then the only people that you're really emailing are people outside of your business, um, that you're emailing clients, you're emailing others where you need to communicate with them, or, or maybe you're doing something more formal that needs to be captured and it makes sense to be captured in an email instead of just a random chat message somewhere. So I am seeing that, e- well, I, email is still, Dennis keeps, you keep saying is email dead yet, but it's, and it's not, it's very far from dead. But I see these tools have a good 
a good opportunity and a good chance to uh, reduce the number of emails that, uh, that live in this world, uh, at least hopefully into the future. All right. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy. And I'm Tom Mile. We are taking a break from the Hot or Not format this episode to follow up on something we talked about in our recent episode on the metaverse. The difficulty of using VR goggles like the Oculus Quest 2 when you wear prescription eyeglasses, especially if you wear eyeglasses with progressive lenses, um, which kind of adds new meaning to that term, VR glasses. Uh, Dennis, I think you recently went to your ophthalmologist and talked with him about the issue. I have done some research on it. Uh, we both wear progressive lenses. We both have this issue and we kind of wanted to report back to you with our findings, what we're doing or what we're going to do or thinking about doing. Um, Dennis, two questions. Uh, how shocked was your doctor when you brought up this question? And two, what did you learn? Well, he did say I was the first person who ever asked him this question, but I, I think the, uh, it's an older demographic in this office, but it was it was an interesting conversation because I I described to him like what the VR glasses were and how they worked and what the problems I was finding, and he was able to translate it really quickly. And what was kind of interesting to me was like he understood like oh this is why you get the 3D effect from like talking how the glasses work, you know, without, without using them. So it's it just kind of interesting how uh, you, I learned at that moment that they're using, you know, some of the science behind how we actually see. So what he said was that basically when you have the progressive lenses, you have sort of far and near vision. And so what I, had, in the research I had done on Google uh, for medical uh, information, as we all do, um, it said like the focus area would be like about two meters uh, away from you, um, which I learned from talking to the doctor is in in the eyeglass world, the same as, as infinitely away from you. So you're just basically looking for, for those of us who are progressive lenses, you're just looking for the far vision glasses. The difficulty I found with the Oculus Quest was the glasses that I were, uh, that that I wear are just a little bit too big and a little bit too far away from my eyes and how they sit on my face that made it uncomfortable for me inside the goggles. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and buy the cheapest, uh, you know, uh, single vision glasses I can for my prescription, which my ophthalmologist gave to me. And, and I'm going to get a smaller set of glasses that's closer to my face. And I'm going to try that as like the, the cheapest way to go. And that was the suggestion of my ophthalmologist. And it makes good sense. It, it, uh, the science sounded great to me. The price sounded great to me. And uh, it seemed pretty easy to do compared uh, to, to some, of the, some of the other options. So uh, that's, that's my, uh, my report from the doctor's office, Tom. You know, it's funny because I went to the eye doctor too a couple of weeks ago and I entirely meant to ask about this and I completely forgot about it. So I do not have a similar story to report from my eye doctor, but I had been researching the issue both before and after that. And what I think is, is interesting is, is that there is a certain size glass, certain size of frames that will fit nicely within an Oculus 2. And let's, while we're talking about that, let's, let's say 
we're talking primarily about the Oculus Quest 2 or the Meta Quest 2 because that's what we both use. Um, there are lots of VR headsets out there, but there are also a lot of VR headsets out there that won't let you wear glasses, period. So at least in this regard, the Quest 2 is, um, I think, a good tool because it does allow for you to wear glasses if you want to. Um, the nice thing about the Quest 2 is it comes with a pair or with a set of what they call glasses extenders. It's not very big, but it's enough. What, what it's designed to do is it's designed to make sure that your glasses do not scratch the lenses of the headset. Because if your glasses get too close to it, then you will scratch the lenses. And so having that, I think, is um, is critical. Having those extenders. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to something called XL Spacers. There, it's a it's a spacer that's a little bit wider and a little bit long, deeper than the ones that come with the Quest 2. So they give you a little bit more room, make things a little bit more comfortable. The, the, the bad thing about these spacers is that um, there are other accessories for VR headsets that provide extra padding, make it more comfortable for you to wear it. And none of them work with the spacers. I don't, I don't think. There may be, and if you're aware of one, let me know. I couldn't find any. So it seems to me that you can either, you can either wear glasses or you can be comfortable, but you can't do both. Um, so here's what I actually am going to look at doing. There are a number of companies out there that, um, that, that will actually create prescription lenses for you to wear. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused about, I, I understand in, in principle how not needing to worry about close-up works, but I will tell you that when I was using my Quest, I was looking down at the, the control panel that I was using to where the settings were and where the apps were, and I was using my close vision to see that. So I'm going to be interested to see exactly how it works when I buy some of these lenses. There are a number of vendors out there. I will put those names in the show notes. There are things like VR Lens Lab, Widmo VR, VirtuClear, VRWave, VR Optician. They all do approximately the same thing. They will make a custom pair of, of lenses for you based on your vision. And all you need is a prescription. You put in your prescription numbers. Um, I think you have to send the prescription to them so they know that they've got an official document they're looking at. The only thing you don't put in is your close vision. So if, you, if you've got something that says that you need readers or something like that, you don't put that in there because it's, it, you, you don't need them for, the, for those lenses. In all the pricing that I did, I priced a couple of them out. They range in cost from somewhere between $80 to $100, $110 for those lenses, which is not terrible. So I'm going to try one. Uh, maybe Dennis and I can re uh, report back once we've uh, tried our various options and see, uh, see where we get with, uh, with our solutions to, uh, to video in uh, or being able to see appropriately in our uh, virtual reality glasses. Yeah, and this strikes me as one of those. Uh, we don't usually do the the uh, the begging thing on this podcast time, but this strikes me as one of these things where if there's a you know a, a vendor who has a solution they think would work for us, we're happy to to give that a try and and talk about that. Absolutely. Now it's time for a parting chat. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, my tip this week is short and simple, and I part of the reason that I'm mentioning it is because I'm so glad that it's happening. And the other is 
I'm not aware that this is happening on any other platform, but this is something that the Google Assistant is finally offering, which is, um, you know, when I, I use Google Assistant to set an alarm, so I wake up in the morning, I use Google Assistant to set timers in the kitchen when I'm cooking, and there's nothing more annoying that when the timer goes off or the alarm goes off, I have to say, hey, G, I'm not going to set off my stuff in, the, in, in my house, hey, G, stop the alarm or stop the timer. I don't want to say all of that stuff. Um, and now Google makes that easier. So when an alarm or a timer goes off, all you have to say is stop and it automatically stops. And I'm as far as I can tell, um, Alexa doesn't do that. Siri doesn't do that. Um, and it was the best thing to be able to wake up in the morning and just say stop than to have my sleep addled brain have to remember to say, okay, gee, stop. Um, so I'm happy for this uh, update and I'm glad that Google did it. Dennis. And I, I wonder if like the TV, if there's somebody on a show who says stop, that will uh, will turn off your alarm. But I guess that's an experiment. Well, to there be is run. voice recognition, so hopefully not, but you never know. So I have two quick ones uh, this time. And so I was on a podcast uh, with the great guy, Chris Jolly. And this is like one of these things that happens to you, you know, through through social media. But he has a podcast called Coffee with the Freight Coach. And it's podcast number 160. I'm the, the guest. And it's Chris Jolly. And this is this really cool podcast where he's talking about supply chain. And he's in the trucking business. And we ended up being introduced by a, a, a Michigan state law alumni and we just had a great time talking so he had me on the show and we ended up talking about supply chain law and uh, how you got trucks into the ukraine into ukraine and and all sorts of other stuff and it's really fun um and so uh tom will put that in the show notes but uh um if you want to hear me talking about something other than what you usually hear me talk about this is a really really fun podcast and i think you'll You'll uh, enjoy how much fun the two of us uh, had, and and we talked about uh, to me some really interesting things. The other thing was that uh, I I noticed uh, the other day that I had a I left a teacup and left a white ring on the on it on a table, and I had I use so I could say my uh, parting shot is to use a. a, a sort of even mixture of baking soda and water and that will take those out uh, but the real thing was that I, I decided to get some coasters and I got these sandstone uh, coasters and I'm using the Thirsty Stone brand desert sand coaster and it looks really nice and they just do a really great job as a as a coaster uh, absorbing the the water from a cup and hopefully prevent those those white rings but just totally enjoyable coaster experience like who would have thought and so that wraps it up for this edition of the kennedy mile report thanks for joining us on this podcast you can find show notes for the episode on the legal talk network's page for the show if you like what you hear please subscribe to our podcast in itunes or on the legal talk network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts if you'd like to get in touch with us you know where how to find us. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. And don't forget, we love to get voicemails from you. Please leave a message at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.